0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data.
1: I'm an android. I'm. basketball. I was processing all of the information.
0: Processing.
2: It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap.
0: Does not compute.
2: Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Rangers Think Basketball. The Tim Lakers finally did what we were all kind of hoping for here, at least since late June, they added another backup big, And this time they added Christian Wood for the league minimum. Uh, now, if you haven't already, we posted uh, an excerpt from our July pod called Big Plan, uh, where you gave a very impassioned plea and, and, frankly, very good context for why Christian Wood was still available and possibly maybe why his uh, reputation didn't, add up at least for what was reported in the media and why his defensive reputation maybe isn't what it seems so welcome in you know let's dive right in because we got a lot to it i guess first thing i want to ask you is uh if you haven't i'll I'll drop that link in the chat right now so people can go watch that later but i guess has your thoughts changed at all since uh since we posted that or since that conversation we had Uh, since then
1: especially like early in free agency a lot happened and there was a lot of you know a lot of things moving quickly and a lot of instant reactions and then afterwards you know watching the film with the wood and biombo discussion and we talked about other bigs as well we kind of went through it and then yeah. moved on to other topics and the world cup's been happening and other things have been happening so i hadn't actively been thinking about this or digging all that much deeper in and i would say that my thoughts now reflect Those thoughts then, and since the news broke, I've dug more into the film. I certainly looked at all the data I think I could ever look at, but I've really deep-dived into his film. I watched his last, I think, eight or nine most recent games played from last season, like every clip of his on defense that he played to get more context, to get more film, understand his technique and where he has shortcomings. The data tracks a lot. There's a lot of data that I trust and rely on and matches my eye test. There's are some areas that we just don't have good data on, and it was good to really fill in those blanks. And you said earlier, we all wanted this. We we all, um, there were a lot of people who didn't, and I think that partially led to the, the impassioned That's speech. Right. It wasn't, yeah, yeah. No, no duh, this is the guy to go get. There are a lot of detractors. There are still a lot of people who, as Lakers fans, as Lakers analysts or as True. NBA analysts or fans of yeah. other teams,
3: and think and this is be a bad fair, move it's it's a we were kind of coming from it's a league minimum like why not but also yeah you'll get into all all the things he brings but at the league minimum it's just no no risk there for it
1: yeah absolutely and it's not this isn't the first time an NBA player or a Lakers player has come into a situation or come from a situation where he was struggling or there were off-court concerns we saw that Malik with Malik Monk he was a strike away from a like a year-long suspension i believe uh due to drugs and there were a lot of teams that just did not want any part of that we've had guys on the team we've had guys like dennis Schroeder publicly talking about the role i expect to have andre drummond promised a role coming onto the team dwight howard coming from another situation where for several years he was not the guy he used to be but was still trying to play like that and get that sort of ball dominance and he was able to join a laker team buy into a role, and excel. Malik Monk came to the team, was able to clean things up, and excel. Dennis Schroeder came to this team, played real well last year, and now is getting paid a whole lot more money for on a new opportunity. So this isn't new for LA. I think in a way, Wood kind of has a mix of some of these other guys, and he's been a polarizing player. And I think if you just, at the highest level, look at a guy who has played on as many teams as he's played on, and you see, well, he was available you know, in September. Obviously, there's there's must be something wrong with this guy. And and I we don't need to rehash all of it. But yes, if you if you haven't watched the video already that Tom just posted in the chat, or you haven't listened to that podcast, which has more uh in addition to what Tom put in that video, please go check that out because that provides a lot of background, a lot of hey, here's what happened in Denver. I'm sorry, not Denver, Dallas. Here's how the, the season unfolded, and you can see how misaligned that experience was from what we're being told the experience was now. So great work on that, Tom. I thought that video was fantastic. Excellent mix of, you perfectly caught in the audio with some great plays and just just shout out to you. I thought it was phenomenal. And there's plenty more to right. the conversation now that he is For on sure. the team. And now yeah, that the definitely. team is a little bit more formed. So where do you want to start with this? There's, there's a lot we can cover.
3: Um, I, I think diving back into that, like why was he available and maybe, you know, the context around that, We he did say, um, I forget who reported this, maybe Yelvon, but that he was kind of waiting for a, a James Harden or a Damian Lillard trade and the fallout there to possibly open up some more opportunity. That's what we kind of talked about in that pod as well, that, you know, he has no um desire he has no nothing to gain from signing for the league minimum in late july like let's wait it out see what shakes out is that the only reason or is it just kind of again my back to maybe his reputation and and all that that he was still available i think
1: it it was a mix of things i certainly think that the reputation isn't nothing there have been things that have happened over not really last year all that much, but, but uh, you know, years prior, uh, an incident here or there that isn't enough that like you're like, oh, goodness, we can't have this guy on the team, but enough that you really want to do your digging. And we've heard this offseason about how the Lakers, you know, did their version of a background check by by checking in with people who do know him and have worked with him uh, on staff or as players and got some additional perspective. Darvin Ham has worked with him. And so I think, you know, do your due diligence. He on his end, he certainly does want to make as much money as he can. He most likely was waiting on a bigger deal, and possibly something as a result of a Dame trade, a Harden trade, as you mentioned. And I'm guessing at this point, he either you know is reading the room and thinking, all right, those trades probably aren't going to happen, or if they do happen, and I've talked to those teams that might have more money to spend, they're not going to invest it in me, and so that might have something to do with like why now to the Lakers. Uh, they did offer him a second year player option to sweeten things up. I don't know what other offers he may have had may have had on the table if they included that, but that's certainly helpful for a guy who's trying to get some security along as long uh, along with providing some upside. And I think another piece of this too is just big picture. and i I've got uh, you know f- center free agent signings this year up on the page there was not a lot of money to go around. We went through our project Ghostbusters at the Discord and we mapped out every team's money, needs, and from that, you know, which players might go where. From a center free agent market standpoint, there was only really Orlando among teams that we thought might spend money going after a new center. You'll see the rest of these guys, they stayed with their incumbent teams. Lopez, back to Milwaukee, Pirtle, back to Toronto. A a lot of these dudes just stayed home because that team had, you know, a good advantage from a spending power standpoint or just like really didn't make sense. After all this, what is going to end up being paid the second most of any center that's changing situations, just behind uh, Jacques Landale who got a, a larger deal for sure to go to Houston who had cap space. Um so it, it was just a very weak center market to begin with and when things didn't go well initially, I understand him waiting. I think he probably could have signed with the Lakers in July, but hanging out trying to see if something shook loose and after some of the recent news that's come out with the Harden situation and hearing about how the you know Lees looking into the Miami thing with Portland like maybe he just thought all right this is my best chance let's go get it this is a good opportunity i can go recoup some value like let's let's go make it happen i don't want to wait too long you know
3: yeah i mean i mean he got the league minimum so the, the how much he got was dependent on years of service too so mm-hmm. that's second most Yep, you know it's it's relative. He got the league minimum. He literally could not get paid less. So, just for context, I'm, you're not wrong. I, I think looking at these names, you know, like you said, mentioned uh, Jock Landale. Uh, everyone else here is fringe kind of rotation backup center. You know what I mean?
1: So yeah. it's a lot of men down here.
3: Yeah, all these are men's, just different numbers based on on their years of service, but. Christian Wood was also, you know, a a high-level scorer for Dallas and you walked through why uh so much of their media was was kind of pining for him to play more and to start and and so that's just some interesting context uh, that we covered in that video but I guess if we want to move to what it looks like for the Lakers Tim we were having a hard time mapping out minutes for all these guys before Christian Wood started Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, Rui Hachimura, Jackson Hayes, uh, Torian Prince, the wing, your front court. Obviously, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are going to get theirs, assuming they are healthy. And which is great about this is gives you another dynamic player to come off the bench and you know alleviate some of that stress if if one of them does get hurt, gives them some more flexibility. But at a full strength, healthy squad, Tim, one of these guys is getting squeezed out, if not multiple. Are getting squeezed minutes lower than maybe their skill might suggest, or they would on other teams.
1: Yep. Yeah. I said it on Twitter uh today or yesterday. It's really hard to make a rotation map right now and put it out and not piss somebody off. Because there are, and I think you could probably say that in general, uh, but <laughs> specifically with this Lakers team, there's so many like rotation-worthy players. And if you're gonna build something that plays like a normal-looking rotation, like 10 or 11 guys, you're going to leave out players who are good and could contribute. And if there are injuries, great. Like, we've got depth. You have quality depth. And it's improved from last season, and it's diverse in terms of the skills that can be put out there from an offensive standpoint, a defensive standpoint. You can give a lot of different looks to opposing teams on both ends of the court. That's valuable. But at the end of the day, when everyone's healthy – you're going to still have to set this up looking some way. And that's, that's going to annoy people. And so yeah. I'm really interested to see how Darvin, Ham and the staff navigate this. They, uh, you know, for all of the commanding presence and gravitas and all that stuff, this is the time to show that. This is the time to get a team of, of grown men to buy into the idea of trying to compete for a title and helping them understand that sacrifice is part of the way to a title. And they certainly have guys on this team that can speak to what that looks like and how they did it and why it was worth it. But at the end of the day, you're going to need buy-in more from more than from just Wood. Like, because yeah. there will be guys who could have gotten min- more minutes for other teams, and that's going to be interesting.
3: Yeah, this is a guy who has experience with Darvin in Milwaukee. his has experience with Anthony Davis in New Orleans. Now, it's not like they were on the team together in, a, in either situation for an extended amount of time. But there's a little relationship there already, at least, which I think is important when it comes mm-hmm. to trust and buy-in, right? So the other couple of things that, you know, or the other thing that came out today was uh, Dave McMenamin talking about the report that Anthony Davis wants to play more at the power forward position this season. Uh, I guess combining that with some of the context we've provided already, do you see Wood as being a primary kind of player alongside ad as we map out this rotation or or is it hayes maybe a mix of both because they don't have it's not like a javel mcgee dwight howard type of player so their defense will look different hopefully they you know buy into more switchings more versatility out there on the front court but nonetheless they're not going to have that same identity of big physical team they're going to be big but maybe a little bit more versatile out there so do you see that report about AD playing at the floor changing how you view or, or your philosophy with this rotation map? It it
1: doesn't surprise me. I think I, – and I'll go over to the tab where this is my current draft and I think the minutes uh, with Vanderbilt-Prince and, and Rui are the, the piece that I'm struggling most with. When I look at how Wood slots in positionally, he's a 4-5, a 5-4 five, five, with the additional context – I see him probably playing more five when AD is out there on the court with him, and I I think that makes sense schematically in a lot of ways based on how the Lakers like to play and how these pieces fit together. Some of that is projecting and saying, all right, with these skill sets, I think they should play this way and that way. To me, is hedging a bit more and rotating behind it. You now have more size. You now have better rotating guards and wings to make that work in a way that last year you you just didn't, and so putting Wood in positions where he's the guy containing and then AD is the one that's defending the rim by by stopping a roll man or if Wood break's contain and there's a drive, AD's there. That gives you so much more security as a defense in a way that last year, like AD had to be defending the rim. We talked about how, why AD was dominant last year was because he was at the rim all the time on both ends of the court. This year, he'll, you know, if you're going to hedge or switch, that takes him away from the rim and that was a big weakness of last season's team was you you couldn't really do that without losing that rim protection if you want to play mobile coverages, Wood can be the guy who's bigger that can go do that he's mobile, and then a d can still continue to defend the rim, but also you know rest a little bit more so i I think there's some value there. I do expect the two of them to play together. I think they have to play together for long stretches of time this season so the team can see what that looks like and see if there's something there. I think it's incumbent upon this team to try out as many of these combos of guys that that makes sense uh to figure out what their best pitches are and which ones maybe they won't use as much some of them will be situational some of them may not work at all but i see him as a a five four this year and i when i'm looking at the rest of the rotation i don't really see that impacting like delo's minutes or gabe benson's minutes i think they're fighting with each other and if one of them's hurt or one of them's underperforming or Maybe just Austin Reeves is performing really well. He is the one guy I see that could cut into minutes between those two. But I think otherwise, at point guard, you're pretty set. At shooting guard, between Reeves and Christie, I think you're kind of set. It's going to be between those two guys. And if someone is trying to fight and break into those minutes, I think Torian Prince is probably the one who makes the most sense. He played chaser defense last season. He's a shooter. He'd give you some size. Maybe he's fighting in there. I don't expect that. But it, let's say Max isn't quite ready yet, I think between yeah. D'Lo, Vincent Reeves, Prince, you you can fill, you know, point guard shooting guard minutes and maybe we see Russell and and Vincent, you know, play more and play together a little bit. But at the 1 and the 2, I think they're fairly insulated from this situation heading wood. Would you agree with
3: that? Um to an extent, I I've been talking all summer so I I'm a little bit less uh convinced Max Crystal would be a staple within the rotation right away, just based on what this team has for expectations. I do think Prince will see more minutes there than him. And uh there's other report that, you know, Rui is still expected to start alongside LeBron and AD. So there's there's an expectation maybe that Wood is the first big off the bench. Maybe he comes in, you know, for LeBron or something like that. Uh in the end of the first kind of big you know where he usually sits so i'm not totally sure but the one and the two is mostly insulated i just maybe see how it plays out slightly different but in Mm -hmm. theory and construct i I do agree with
1: gotcha and then i'll call out a couple guys Jalen hutchifino demoy hodge colin castleton we like what they bring we don't i i don't think they're quite ready to compete with the quality depth that this team has. I hope they are pushing these guys in practice. I hope iron is sharpening iron and they're getting better and they're ready to contribute next season. But for a normal when everybody's healthy rotation, you know, it's not blowout minutes. I think those three. Probably not going to be in consideration. I think you can say the same thing about Cam Reddish. He's shown some flashes. He has shown some legitimate growth in certain areas of the game on both ends of the court that we've covered on previous podcasts. Go back and listen to that if you want that coverage. But he's someone that at least starting the season, I don't think is quite in there to compete for those wing minutes. Then you get to the three and the four. And Actually, I want to hold that for a second and and I guess talk, talk more about the center minutes. I think Jackson Hayes is someone that adds some mobility, he can finish at the rim a bit. He, there are some areas of his game that have regressed from from prior versions of him that have looked better. His screening isn't something that's all been all that good. There you know, he doesn't space the floor. Like there are things he's not good at, there are some things he is good at. He was a mobile piece that we thought could compete for center minutes. He is someone that I think is very much in danger from a playing time standpoint now that Christian Wood is added to the equation we could see Wood and Hayes play center and split center minutes and then AD's playing a lot of power forward, probably some center still. If you were to see that, that would then mean LeBron James is now playing up as a small forward, which he used to do regularly. And over time, he slowly transitioned into a defensive role that requires less of him on a day-to-day basis when it comes to his perimeter defense. I don't expect that to change this year i still think he's probably more of a four defender uh i think we'll probably get a mix but in lieu of that i think we're probably just going to see jackson hayes be a big loser of this move and not really be getting minutes is there is there any other way that you see hayes again with everyone healthy being able to like get any real consistent time
3: i mean unless he goes back to or, you know goes back he's been okay as kind of a, you know, mobile big defender. If they're set on being more of a switching defense. uh, No, honestly, he's probably one of the lowest people I was, I was on uh, this summer uh, siding wise. I think it's, it's better than not having another, like maybe relying on Castleton too soon, but Mm -hmm. Hayes is probably the easiest person to, Give zero minutes and still kind of have him buy in at least in the beginning. Um, maybe signing him with that expectation that he could be another reclamation project. Right? This is you know a four-year rookie deal guy who's got his bird, uh, his restricted whites raved. so he's unrestricted free agent. That doesn't always happen unless you're really you know below expectation as a lottery pick.
1: Yeah. And, and we're not saying he can't do it, but he's he's going to have to go out there and earn it. He has to go out there, prove it, get better, you know, really be battling day in and day out because there's a lot of talent on this team. And with Rob Polinka's earlier comments, this this post-offseason uh, talking about playing two big lineups more, we were looking at it and we're like, Hayes in AD, that doesn't, you don't have the spacing for that. And now that Wood's at it, it's like, oh, I, we get it. This makes sense. Christian Wood in AD. There you go. You've got a spacer. And that's a that's a duo that AD on offense can be your five, and then AD on defense can be your four when they're together. And he can be that dominant, weak side, erasing helper. And Wood can be the one who's just out there hedging, you know, taking two steps, staying in front, and then needing to recover, which is a lower impact position. And it's defending the rim less, and you don't want AD doing that, and Wood being the rim defender. You, you'd rather do it the other way around, so things actually work out pretty well there. And I think between the two of them, how many minutes Wood plays, I think is a big X factor here. If he's only going to play like 20 minutes, I think that really helps out the Vanderbilt-Prince-Rui situation. But if Wood's going to play like 25, 26, I have him at 26 right now in this very preliminary uh, rotation chart that I put together. Between him and AD, I think you've got center covered. And... If AD is going to play 36 minutes, which is what I have right now, and you can argue that on a lot of games he'll play less because they're doing great and in charge and he can rest later in the game, but if the rest of his minutes are at power forward and then LeBron has just about the rest of those, I have a, a couple left over for the, for Rui, Prince, and Vando. Vando, Prince, and Rui are really fighting for about 48 minutes between the three of them, and someone's going to get squeezed. I think it's really – right here, I have all three of them playing at not a whole lot of minutes, and, and I think it's tough. And so that's an area where if Wood does play less, or at least to start the season is playing less, you're going to see those three guys, those three wings be able to get more regular time you know, closer to 20 minutes a piece. But if they're really just fighting for small forward minutes, it's someone's not going to eat each game.
3: Is there a reason you don't have Rui starting in this lineup?
1: So I and, and again this is no one, no one get upset no one get upset put your keyboards down against
3: the reports that we've had
1: it, it is against the reports we had I, yeah I do think it's between I think Vando Prince and Rui all have a shot I would expect if you ask me today who's going to start day 1 I think Rui it would be the odds on favorite to start day 1 given just what I've seen and who else is going to be starting and I mean the reporting certainly helps uh, I want to, I guess, make a couple notes. Prince's off-screen shooting offensively is something that I think specifically does really help this Lakers starting lineup because it provides so much space. We saw that with Malik Beasley, and he shot well on the dribble handoff and off-screen threes. He shot like 48%. He stunk on the the spot-up threes as a Laker, certainly, you know, a downstretch for him. But we've seen how... Off-screen shooting can really manipulate defenses, remove help, and open things up for the star players. And, I mean, it's easy to see watching the games. We also see that in the data, and that was something I grabbed yesterday. We see LeBron's 1v1 attacking last season during the freelance offense. So just no no play. We're just out there, you know, vibing 0. 0.82 points per possession. That's, that's not good. That's bad. LeBron's ISO offense during plays, set plays, not using off-screen action. He scored 1.01 points per possession. That's okay. LeBron's 1v1 attacks during set plays with off-screen action, 1.17 points per possession. That's really darn good. And AD and LeBron are going to get extra space when it takes two guys or three guys to defend a pin down or a stagger, or a flare screen, a hammer flare, whatever it happens to be. That's something where I think helping the starting lineup with that gravity is really valuable with Prince. Whereas with Rui, I think... You know, I trust his three-point shooting a little bit less. I still think he'll shoot well enough. But I think really where he adds value is the late clock attacking when nothing's going on. And you could use that a little bit more off the bench than starting offensively. And then defensively, if we're going to have AD start at center and Wood come off the bench as a center, when Wood is your center, I want extra size out there. And that's where Rui and LeBron or Vando and LeBron, along with what I think – is really where you get a little bit more value. I think Prince out there with a LeBron Wood front court, defensively to me, I don't expect it to perform quite as well. And so that leaned into what I've got here today on the screen. But I can easily see game one, Rui really starting things off and Vando coming off the bench and Prince mixed in there, here and there, or maybe he doesn't play at all. I don't. I don't know what that looks like. I think how the offensive scheme is set up in the playbook Will heavily dictate if Prince is useful because if they're not running the off-screen stuff, he doesn't. I mean, I'd rather just have. A room.
3: Yeah, it's like I for one, like I I hear where you're coming from. At least from the off-screen, they they didn't do it a ton. I feel like last year they didn't have a lot of guys for it. Um, wait, it, is that worth Toy and Prince guarding threes?
1: I would, in a way, agree and disagree with that statement you made because I there were a lot of sets in the playbook. Like, there were, like, of their, like, 400-something plays, they had, like, 200 of them or something like that that had off-screen action. Um, When they ran those plays, and they ran them all year long, before they traded for Malik Beasley, they had, like, Lonnie Walker, Austin Reeves, Pat Beverly, guys who weren't off-screen shooters running off-screen shooting sets, and it was not working. And I don't blame anyone for not, like, being like, oh, you know, look, these stackers are running, because they stunk. And a lot of times, they weren't even getting shots off. Once you had someone who could do it, They still ran them a lot. They ran them even more, and they worked really well. And so, it's something that I've seen from Chris Gent for years. It's something, and and he ran the the Lakers' offensive scheme last season. I wouldn't expect it to just disappear, but if it does, then yeah, I I don't think Prince has nearly as much value on offense. But he has been one of the more prolific off-screen shooters in the NBA for some time. If we look at his like three-point shooting on-off-screen situations, he's someone that's been shooting in like the 40% nearly annually. And when he's not, he's been in the high, high 30s. So that's what you're looking for. Like, that's what you want. And I think that has to mean something, right? But I I, I get it. I think him defending threes can be a concern and would be part of why you wouldn't go with him.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: Okay. I mean, considering he's not like he's, at least how he's been the last few seasons, used as a wing stopper. You talked about LeBron being more of a four on defense and the Anthony Davis is at the five. I like I hear where you're coming from. I just you know, I don't know.
1: I think part of it too will depend on what Rui's defense looks like. Because last regular season and like traditionally for him, he hasn't really been all that great of a perimeter defender, but I I do see that as something that he's focusing on improving. And we've seen him in pictures and they've talked about it. Like he's slimming down a bit. And yeah,
3: no. I I've, I've re- like mentioned my skepticism about Rui being a wing stopper as well and I I hope I'm wrong. I I'm just more of it's a different it's going to be an adjustment for him as well. This is where I kind of keep bringing up. I think Vanderbilt's going to find more top minutes partly because of this. Um because of his the Lakers reliance on him at, as a wing stopper despite the uh you know the the offensive limitations he might have.
1: Yeah, I where I I think Vando is going to play a bit. I don't see him as someone that's just out of the rotation. I was lower on him (laughs) a couple days ago than I am right now, and part of that is the offense. Like we we saw his offense as a Laker be bottom five in the NBA during his portion of time as with the Lakers because they in Utah he was rolling a lot. He was in the dunker spot a lot. He's not a great finisher, but that doesn't hurt your gravity when you're in those positions, necessarily. It's not like you're going to sag off a guy who's standing at the block. Um, And he's a a good short roll playmaker. So they were leaning into some of his strengths. His three-point shooting wasn't in a magnifying glass. With the Lakers, he played nearly 75% of his minutes with Anthony Davis, and neither of those guys shot well from the perimeter. But if you're picking one of them to roll and one of them to space, you'd much rather have AD be the roll man. And that led to a lot of Vando just standing in the corner and... He was poor shooting there just like he was poor finishing at the rim. But the big difference was the lack of gravity as a shooter like tangibly hurts your offense in a way that like a guy standing next to the rim isn't as big of a deal. And that's something where I think the best lineups for him would be him with a stretch big where the stretch big can be spacing and he can be the one setting screens and rolling. And that's where the addition of Christian Wood I see as being something that works in Vanderbilt's favor Because when you pair the two of them together, I'd say defensively, you are able to get that strong defense from Vando, and I think you need a little bit of that extra oomph when Wood is out there as your center defensively. But then on offense, you're able to allow Vando to be in a situation where it's, it's a better environment for him. And the Lakers roster last season, and the Lakers roster a week ago, wasn't in a position where if they're going to construct lineups specifically for Jared Vanderbilt, they're just not doing the best thing for the Lakers. And I think we finally, with this addition, you've kind of unlocked his minutes in a way, or at least his minutes being good, because you can really easily, if AD's starting, Wood's off the bench, they play some time together you know, as they transition, but there's still going to be a good portion of time here that you can play Vanderbilt where AD's off court and you play Vanderbilt with Christian Wood, and that's where I see him getting more of his minutes, whereas I think Rui starting you know, gives you better spacing. So I think it's a balance of mixing the defense in with the spacing. If the off-screen game isn't part of things, I think you can really see Prince phased out. Uh, But I, I definitely see Vanderbilt continuing to be part of this rotation. And I don't think looking at his performance and his impact metrics last season is a good way to justify him not playing now because the context has changed. And we saw last season how when the context changed from Utah to LA, his defense, or I'm sorry, his offensive impact suddenly plummeted. We're now in a position where he can be used more like he was in Utah, and they still have to go out and do it. maybe they'll make the same mistakes, but if they do make these improvements, I'm anticipating, all of a sudden he does become a much more valuable player
3: yeah it's it's going to be interesting to see they're they have a lot more opportunities to do that you know s- synergistic three on offense, four on defense with several of these guys. You already mentioned Christian Wood and Anthony Davis. Uh, I think Christian Wood and Jared Vanderbilt plays the same. You know, guys like Torian and Prince being more of maybe a chaser too on defense and and a, like, you know, movement shooter on offense. So, it's going to be interesting there. I we we could we could do a 2-hour pod. I feel like there's so much here mm-hmm. to go over with Christian Wood and the implications here. I guess um I guess going more into the bigs and Anthony Davis side of things. Do you see Anthony Davis, his offensive game changing around Christian Wood on offense as a stretch big. Is it going to open up more space for him in the post uh, on offense? Is it most ideal to have Christian Wood as the rim protector on defense in that pairing? Or, you know, the, the knock on Christian Wood, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the video or listened to the last pod, is, you know, he's, he's a really bad defender. Uh, Do you think that's true? And and is Anthony Davis going to be able to make up for his limitations, make him a better defender? Uh, I asked a lot of questions there, but I think they're all kind (laughs) of related too, you know?
1: Yeah, they're they're great questions, and I think with any of these individual players, you have to consider both ends of the court. There are there are guys on this team that are stronger on one end than the other. Some of them are like outright weak on one end and strong on the other. Christian Wood is a strong offensive player and a weaker defensive player. Now, offensively, we'll start there. Him playing with AD or just playing with anybody, I think the spacing he provides will be valuable. This is a guy who shot forty three point four percent on th- uh, spot up threes this past season. He's averaged thirty nine percent over the past four years. That's really good. He was the third highest center last season in our catch and shoot three point shot making metric at B Ball Index. Only Al Horford and Kristaps Porzingis ranked ahead of him as a pop guy. He's your legitimately your first roll and pop threat that this team has had in a bit because he is a really good roller. But when he's popping, he shot 43% on threes last season. He yep. was only uh, – Porzingis shot uh, – he had 0.1 more threes made per game than Wood. Muscala matched him. Other than that, he was the most prolific popper in the NBA, and he shot a higher percentage than both of those wow. He shot forty five percent popping wow. for the past five seasons on threes. I was
3: just, you know, we were we we're working on the play of the day thing, doing the double drag. And can you imagine, like a a double drag with AD Christian Wood and like D'Angelo Russell or Austin Reeves? How do you guard oh. that? You can't. That
1: you can't. That's the oh my god! I'm. We haven't talked about this. We did not prepare this. I this has been <laughs> irking me for months, Tom. The Lakers with their double drag series. They had all the right personnel in all the right spots and they had all these answers for what the defense can do. One thing that troubled the Lakers was the fact that on a lot of those plays, they had like Jared Vanderbilt setting the first screen and he wasn't a great roller nor could he pop and the defense would kind of just kind of leave that dude alone, allow him to be on the weak side and let their, you know, guy who in the strong side corner, who's becoming the weak side corner as the double drag moves away from them, defend two guys with one player. Now you can pop that first dude out and then roll the second one. And all of a sudden, that takes away a big chunk of how NBA teams defended what was the bread and butter uh, series and concept for the Lakers offense this past season. It helps so much, dude. It helps so much. And he's someone that, like, you know, when Marcus Saul was out there, it's like, all right, he's going to pop. When Anthony Davis is in there, it's like, all right, he's either going to roll to the rim <laughs> somewhat slowly or you know, sometimes he runs hard. up not get his lob. Uh, or he's he's kind of just kind of standing around. He's not really popping. For most of these Lakers bigs over the past few years, they were doing one or the other. They weren't a, like a legitimate threat to be good at both. Christian Wood can do both. Get, get you a center that can do both, and, and he's that guy. Uh, by the way, he's also a really good mid-range shooter. He had an A-minus mid-range talent grade. Only AD and D'Angelo Russell had better mid-range shot-making grades last season than Christian Wood. Like, third-level scoring, check. Second-level scoring, check. Better than Rui, better than LeBron, better than a lot of these guys so what does it mean i guess sorry getting back to your your question the Mm off-ball gravity that he provides because because the shooting is the skill the off-ball gravity is the impact of that skill and that's what helps the other lakers players score well he will be the best off-ball gravity big the los angeles lakers have had in the past decade according to our basketball index database number one not number one fairly easily too yeah, it's, it, it's not really close. And this past season, only Larry Markkinen, uh Sabonis, and Jokic graded out higher among bigs with 1,000 or more minutes. He's one of the best in the NBA. He will space the floor. And that helps you out with guys like Rui and Prince and Reeves and Vincent and Christie and Vando. All players who had D, D-plus, or D-minus rim shot creation grades this past season. They were guys that, once they got to the rim, some of them could shoot well. But they weren't quite as able to self-create at the rim, and this additional spacing helps there. It also helps the guys who are good at getting to the rim, like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It makes it harder for, if you're guarding uh, Wood with a big, it pulls rim protection away. And if you try to guard him with a guard, he can post you up. He will post you up, and he will beat you up in the post because he's got a good post game. So it's it's unlike the Mo Bamba thing where, yeah, Bamba can space the floor, but if we go stick a wing on him, it's it's kind of fine. You can't do that with Wood. Because he can do the, you know, he's got the inside and the outside game. That was a lot of the draw that I had with Miles Turner last season was that guy who could punish the mismatch or space the floor and take away their rim protection. So that's valuable, and I think it leads us to a question: Is the three point shot making with this team the best LeBron has seen? And we have new data, Abby Index that looks at teammate strength data. So it's not this is how good LeBron is, but here's how good the players around LeBron have been in like 150, 200 different stats. Based on the teammate strength data at B-Ball Index, this would grade out as the second best three-point shot-making team LeBron has played in over the past decade, and pretty easily the best team he's played in as a Laker from a spacing standpoint. And it so turns out, if you pick the top five guys in off-ball gravity last season, they are D'Angelo Russell, Austin Reeves, LeBron James, Christian Wood, Anthony Davis. And that could very well be a starting five or or a five-man group that gets time together at some point in this season. I, leaning yeah. more offense than defense for sure, but I I don't know. So offensively, he's going to help everybody out. AD, he's going to help the guards out, the wings out, LeBron. It, it's going to be, I think that's going to be really helpful, whether he's on ball or off ball. Defensively, yeah, he he's a guy that's weaker and, and looking at his film, I see some of those weaknesses. I, I see some areas that, aren't great but don't really matter as much for the lakers like he was on a he was in a lot of lineups where he was like the one big guy on the court and he's 69 and next to him he had a bunch of like like Kyrie, hardaway luca and reggie bullock who looked pretty washed last season had d plus d plus d and f defensive impact rates they looked awful on film I watched it it was like a horror show watching the film. It's just dudes getting back cut, beat at the point of attack. Like no like, dude, it's all training. Christian Wood's
3: fault. It's, it's Christian all Wood's fault. He's Woods a bad fault. defender.
1: Yep, that's it's all his fault. Um <laughs> <laughs> we've got Maxi Kleba, who for the first time in his career is playing more center than power forward. He had a D minus height grade among centers last season. Dorian Finney Smith playing up as well, an F grade for power forward height. These are dudes tiny for their roles along with a bunch of bad defenders and Christian Wood still ended up with good rim protection data, but the poor dude was just in there all day. Uh, Like just having to play goalie. It was awful. It was so bad. Like the teammate strength metrics for Wood: F grade D LeBron F grade rim protection D plus grade perimeter. ISO defense F grade defensive rebounding success rate F steals per 75 F deflections per 75. The foul rates committed were super high and see ball screen navigation and off ball chaser defense holy crap like it's hard to I I get that Dallas was a good team and he had played on like young bad teams previously with Detroit and Houston this was a good offensive team this was by no means a good defensive team and it was not his fault but we did see him in two big lineups next to McGee next to Powell and it's like oh all of a sudden this this makes a whole lot more sense and he's rotating well he's helping well i was actually really impressed with the rotating i know the defensive the data we have at b-ball index says he rotates often it took the film for me to really believe it and it was there and his i'd say his closeout technique is poor and that is incredibly fixable but he needs to you know chop his steps up a little bit more he was doing he's flying by a little bit too much but i saw some smart things from him as a rebounder in terms of like staying down as a rim protector so that he's not compromising rebounding position like I can go going on and through, on. I'll, I'll pause for a
3: yeah, second. I was just going to say, going through some of the film I saw as well, he had a surprising amount of clutch blocks, including mm-hmm. against the Lakers in that just terrible, terrible loss uh, where Maxi Kleba hit the game winner. He had, mm-hmm. you know, I think he has decent timing at, at the high point. He's not exactly, you know, somebody who's going to always, you know, beat you there. But he has good length too. I mean, his measurables are 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 decent and. I think, yeah, a lot of it is, like, body positioning and playing maybe more physical because he is more of a slight 6'9", too. He's not, you know, a thicker, bruiser kind of guy. So, yeah, just readjusting where he can use his skills and refocusing and also putting him in a position to succeed where he's not expected to be the only rim protector if he has some some help on the backside in Anthony Davis or even a LeBron James.
1: Yep. Yeah and I I think an important distinction to make is that the rim protector in a lineup does not have to be the center in the lineup. That's important. The the rim protector does not equal the center. For certain schemes it will. If you're playing drop, yes. If you are a hedging team and you are that center pulled into ball screens because Teams are generally running point guard center ball screens or shooting guard center ball screens. They're not pulling their fours into ball screens as much. But when you are pulled into ball screens, if you're hedging, your job is not to defend the rim by being there. Your job is to defend the rim by stopping the drive at the three-point line. And when you do so and you have two guys on the ball, you give up a 4v3 off ball. And that's where the roll man is a big threat. And that's at the rim. The roll man's a threat at the rim. And if you tag that roll man, you know, you got to worry about the weak side guys. That's where AD becomes the rim protector. If he's the four in the lineup, he's on the you know defending the weak side wing, weak side corner. He's the one that's able to take away, erase that roll man, and then he's got the length and instincts to pick off a, a a kick out, you know, skip pass. And he, for seasons, proved just how monstrous he could be in that position. And last season, he couldn't do it because the rest of the team couldn't rotate worth a damn. But this team can do that, and I think that allows you when AD's playing more power forward defensively, he can still be your rim protector. He just doesn't need to necessarily be the guy pulled into ball screens. Now, if you want to drop, then yeah, I'd stick AD at center, and I would put Wood off ball. And knowing that AD in drop will be someone that's focused on defending the rim, he's in that position to defend the rim, I wouldn't stick Christian Wood in drop. He was in drop 50% of his ball screen possessions as a Dallas Maverick. That's bad. That's not a good way to use him. And I think hedging and switching are much better for him. I don't think he's the switchiest guy. I don't think he's the most elite as a mobile big man. He grades out as an average perimeter isolation defender among centers. And, you know, that's that's okay. But it's not, okay, we're going to go sick him on everybody. But I watched film against him on Tyler Hero, DeJounte Murray, Kyle Lowry, James Harden four times by the way and he picked his pocket shut him down two of the other three times he did well and i understand that's not quite a murderer's row that was you know i watched full game film of like 10 games those were the ones that i you know took note of like okay i saw him on him i saw him on that that guy that guy his length is helpful he's mobile so i think he fits switching i think he fits hedging but he doesn't necessarily have to be your rim protector. I think as a number two rim protector in a lineup, he's really, really solid. As the number one rim protector in a lineup, he, you're, you're really, you know, that's not a place you want to be. And I think if you are to stick him in lineups where he is the rim protecting force, I think you probably want to be more switchy and try to stay in front of guys and, you know, not give up numbers advantages that are attacking the rim, nor give up line drives against drop so, I think you want to be hedging with him when AD's out there and maybe switching with him when AD's not out there. And thankfully, the Lakers roster is probably better aligned for those two things than they are for drop this year because they have that AD strength. They have that size at the wing positions. They have the rotating ability. And a weakness of theirs is ball screen navigation. Vincent's not great at that. Dilo's not great at that. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt's not great at that it doesn't matter as much when you're hedging or you're switching. And so in a lot of ways, I see this as being a team that is built to be a mobile coverage team, which fits in well with Christian Wood.
3: So how does this affect some of the other forwards in the front court? uh, Bigs Uh, like LeBron, we talked about, you know, Vando's probably the biggest beneficiary here, but do you think that might mean uh, LeBron maybe gets a little bit fewer minutes? They're able to, you know, give him more rest if they're winning games or maybe even just with more guys, you know, able to kind of survive those minutes because a big issue with these lineups where LeBron can't sit, they can't score out there when he's not out there. Now, I'm not saying he's, uh, you know, going to have the ball in his hands all the time, but Christian Wood is a guy who can get his own bucket. He can create both, um, on his own and he can be a good playmaker out of you know pick and roll situations if you have a good three-point shooting pull-up player like d'angelo russell or austin hopefully austin reeves in the pick and roll so is that kind of a reason to suspect maybe this is all shaping up the lakers death kind of you know yes it's year 21 but they need to have a better more cohesive plan for keeping lebron james healthy throughout the season
1: i think that's a great question and In a lot of ways, like, yeah, like, I I think there will be just given the additional talent on the roster. And this is, I I think, already a very strong roster. There will now be more games where you're up big late and Bron can rest and he doesn't have to play as much. Or if he needs to sit out an entire game, you now have more of a floor and more of a ceiling with this group because you've added a guy who last season was worth about ten and a half million dollars playing as he played for all the things people are upset about. That's how valuable he was. If he cleans things up on defense. And he's a fifteen million dollar player, or like, ooh, we got this guy at the mint. So the talent that you've added is is tremendous. And in a lot of ways, I think that you know just provides a better environment in cases where AD or LeBron aren't playing for one reason or another. I think the scoring that he provides, the spacing's good when he's off ball. the The three point shooting's great. He's going to score from there. But on ball, he can beat you from the third level to second level and at the rim. As a finisher, as a roll man, he's a very, very strong roll man, 1.6 points per possession. As a roller this past season, he can pop, he can post up. You can run things through him as a scorer, but he's also, as you mentioned, a good passer. He was a top 10 playmaking talent big man this past season. When you plot out his scoring possessions for 75 possessions on one axis and his passing creation volume, so how frequently he's creating shots for teammates on the other He's basic. His dots right next to Bam and Anthony Davis and Kristaps Porzingis. It's a good place to be. And when we look at his peripheral playmaking data compared to rotation bigs this past season, A minus on the quality of shots he's generating for teammates. That's good. He's not just throwing grenades. He's generating good looks for teammates. B minus volume for passes leading to shots for teammates. That's good. B versatility. C efficiency. That's good data. And what does this mean for LA? Now they can run delay sets or run dribble handoff offense or operate through the mid post or the low post, facilitating with their starters and their bench unit in a way that they couldn't do last year. There was there was a big problem last year going from lineup to lineup and having to change the approach, change the scheme. If the Lakers go bring in Bismack Biambo, he can't do any of this stuff. He's one of the worst passing bigs in the league. Same thing with Jackson Hayes. You're now able to have continuity lineup to lineup. And I think that's very valuable on its own. And I mean if you throw out a lineup of like Wood, Rui, uh, I don't know, Vando, Christie, and Reeves or D'Lo or Vincent. You've got a lot of guys that have you know some low key strong passing skills. You've got spacing. You've got switchability all over the place. You've got guys that can rotate. So I just I see those bench units. Maybe they're not the strongest defensively, but they should still have enough scoring punch and be good enough on defense that they're. Not groups that you're like, oh dear lord, we just have to survive. I no, I think you can be a little bit more. You, you can be cocky. I, I think you can be a little bit more, more greedy there and, and try to win some of those minutes against a lot of teams, and that's a much much better place to be.
3: I mean, it definitely helps to have such a you know strong gravity on pick and roll player with like Luca and Kyrie to you know draw so much attention. A lot of plays I saw from him in the playmaking and in that video a lot of 4 on 3, you know, a lot of catching with an advantage. And he's able to make a pretty good read and, you know, hit the the dump off or swing it to the guy in the corner. So I think and that on top of him being able to finish out of the mid-range, you know, he's he's a good three-level scorer for in you know, if you involve him in the pick and roll or if you have him off ball, he can mm-hmm. attack closeouts. It just such adds so, so many different dimensions to the Lakers offense that they haven't had even in the starting lineup, not saying he's going to start, but putting him, you know, in the bench unit, it makes it even like the fact that the Lakers don't have to rely on him for more than 20 or so minutes if they don't need to. And in certain matchups, if he's, you know, not able to keep, you know, keep up on defense, you have that flexibility to, you know, flex somebody else in there. It's just, yeah, the amount of skills he can bring to the, to this team Alleviates so much pressure on offense that I think we would have already seen with some natural development and chemistry with some of the new guys. And, uh, but now it's just like off the charts to me where this offense could go. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. You, if you ignore LeBron and AD and you look at the wings and, and the bigs on this team, he's the best scorer from the three. He's the best scorer from mid range. He's the best scorer at the rim. He's one of the best playmakers. He, like, <laughs> he's good. man. Like, He's not going to go out there and just kind of finish some plays or stand in the corner or like he's legitimately someone that you can build some sets around, build some offense around, and he fits with the starters and he fits with the bench. And I, I mean, just his creation of shots at the rim, A minus rim shot creation versus rotation bigs last season. That's going to be super helpful. When We look at this roster. I talked about all those guys: Rui, Prince, Reeves, Vincent, Max in D, you know the D plus D D minus range. D'Lo had a C plus in this uh lebron had an a plus ad had a b plus for their season grades with rim shot creation so you're bringing in one of you know one of the best guys at creating looks at the rim which on its own is really valuable because those are high quality looks they generate fouls more they generate offensive rebounds more they're going to create opportunities to kick out to teammates and we know he'll take advantage of that this doesn't play offensively like a selfish player that is just out there to try to put stats up like he is doing good things he, from a hockey assist standpoint last season, he was 0.1 hockey assist lower per game than Austin Reeves was. And we know Austin Reeves is a great ball mover. Like th- there are things that he will go out and do well on offense that I don't know that fans are quite realizing the steal that they've, they've grabbed. And this is stuff he did last year. This isn't in theory. A couple of years ago, he did this, or I think he can do this. No, he did these things. And that is just tremendous, tremendous value at the men.
3: All right, let's let's kind of move on to a little bit more of so for quickly I think this kind of solidifies that you know barring some major injury Colin Castleton's going to get some more time to cook in the G League. Do you agree mm-hmm. with that?
1: I agree. Yeah, unless someone gets yeah. hurt. I, I don't see him running into a situa- situation where he runs out of eligibility to play as a two-way guy in NBA games. If he does some major things have gone wrong with the season. I really like Castleton. I think he shows a lot of promise. He's gonna get time to season at the G League. Wanna see him ready to contribute next year?
3: Yeah, let him bake, let him cook out down there. Let him get some reps in, is you know, more involved in the offense and more of a centerpiece on defense, and let's see what happens. So that's good. That's again putting the pieces in positions to succeed, giving it that time. Um we talked a little bit about Jackson Hayes, but I guess more in terms of the the kind of bigs that this team has added, you re- referenced Rob's desire to have multiple skill sets represented. I think, if anything, these additions hopefully signify that the Lakers will not be primarily running as much drop as they did last year. Do you think that'll be the case, too? Hope, again, hopefully?
1: I agree with that. If If not, I don't see this defense getting close to its potential, but... Yeah, I mean, up up and down this roster, you've got guys who are switchable for their position. We're seeing Reeves kind of prove it out at the World Cup. Now, you know, not every game it, it's ideal, but in a lot of situations, he's been able to hold his own. And you've got guys, Vincent and Christie and LeBron and Rui and Fando and Now Wood and AD Hayes. All of these guys are dudes who are you know plus switchable skill sets for their position. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And they've also added a bunch of dudes who can rotate really well, which is key if you're running any sort of hard hedging or soft hedging or blitzing, which I also see the big men on this team being capable of doing with AD and Wood and Hayes. So I'm with you, man. I think we're going to see less drop. I still think they can certainly go to drop with AD at, at center. But they now have every pitch available to them instead of going into matchups like against Denver last season in the playoffs where they are weakest against hedging and we know we can't hedge well. And that was a problem. So they now won't face a team in the playoffs where the pick and roll coverage we wish we could run, we just don't have the guys to do it.
3: So I think what we should do is, you know, we're going to talk a lot more about kind of what this means for the rest of the team you know, after we take a couple weeks off here in middle of September, but we'll be ready to go diving deep into like some of the coverages, what some of the best lineups could be, you know, for those coverages. But for right now, still kind of keeping it to Christian Wood. Again, I I hearing so many things, conflicting opinions on him on on the timeline, hearing people like Tim McMahon talk about how he had this quote I saw he said like no coach he's ever had him has wanted him. And I think that's it's a strange thing to say, and it goes against what you had said in July on our pod. And I think that is an oversimplification. And I I don't know it. It he clearly was a, you know a good player for Detroit where he broke out, and those reports that they wanted to keep him and and in Houston. And I don't I don't know the whole situation in Houston was a mess, you know. I think I would argue the situation in Dallas was a mess as well, and how they kind of pulled you know messed pulled him around you know jerked his chain as far as being you know what they were expecting from him, and did they want him to begin with you know that's mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like they did, so if you could help us free frame the actual data the actual metrics you have for him as like a team player as far as doing maybe some more of the little things you mentioned rotating earlier which you saw in the film is there more context for like data context for how he can help this team and maybe why that you know reputation isn't exactly true
1: i think yeah and there's a lot that goes into that and there are certainly a number of areas where it's it's challenging to to check the data. There are, we just don't have good data on, you know, is he cheering his teammates on? Is he accepting coaching well? Is he someone that people like to be around? Is he exerting max effort? There are a lot of those things that there's not good data on it, but we can certainly look at the film. There are areas where we do have data. Like we can look and see, oh, he had an A- box out grade. That would have ranked highest on the Lakers last season. And I know if the Lakers weren't a team that boxed out a ton, but looking at the film— he had really good box-out behaviors. He had really good box-out tendencies. And that's something that I think is, you know, that's being a team player. The quick decision-making. Yep. The, the, the We have a metric for this. Wood grades out about exactly where Bam out of Io did last season. And that's a pretty good place to be. I talked about the playmaking.
3: shooting and passing?
1: Uh, sorry. We do have one that's shooting and passing. The one I'm referring to, I should have clarified, is the quick decision pass percentage.
3: Okay. And Th- so- that makes sense. Yeah.
1: The frequency of his touches where he's making a quick pass within I think it's four seconds is how we have it set up. So those plays he's doing at a rate that's along the lines of other guys that you're not going to look at and say that's a selfish player. Now the hockey assist, I covered it, how he's comparable to Reeves last season. I think that's encouraging. I watched him in these about ten games of – I think it was nine or eight games. I watched all of his defensive minutes. I mean he played basically a playoff game against Sacramento, his last game of the year, and he was flying around. He was boxing out. He played good post-defense on Sabonis. He was executing his, his tags, trapping the box, sinking, filling. His rotations were crisp. His you know his uh, closeouts need some technical work, but it wasn't that he wasn't trying. His communi- I saw him communicating out there, pointing, talking. That's stuff you want to see from a big man. I saw him hold guys accountable where they didn't make the rotation they were supposed to, and he came up to them after the play, and they talked through it, or he was pointing and yelling. Like, those are the things that, like, it seems like he cares. It seems like he wants to do the right thing and win. I saw him hustling back on defense, which isn't something we could say about a lot of Laker players last season. I think you can look at areas of his game and say he could do this better. But I think there are more than one or two areas of his game where you can point at that and say, this dude's trying. This dude wants to win. This guy's trying in areas that don't show up in a box score. And I think that means something. And having watched about 10 games of him, I didn't leave that being like, this is a selfish dude or this guy doesn't want to be here. And and that's just, you know, what he played at the end of the season. Maybe there was a stretcher in the middle of the year that he wasn't looking great. But to me, that stands out. And I, when you mentioned that, you know, teams he was on didn't want him or the coaches didn't want him, like I could see him getting that impression with those teams that were trying to purposefully play their younger players more that knew he wasn't part of the future and that cut into his minutes. I could see that being his interpretation there. I could see, I mean, we heard, I what was it, Tim Cato, I think it was, a reference on a previous pod, uh, did a podcast where he said the Mavs, when they traded for him, the coaches didn't necessarily want him. They wanted to move him again, uh, and they didn't, and so they had to deal with it, and it turned out he was playing so well that they had to play him more, and then they did play him more, and then he got hurt, and then all of a sudden he went from having played a bunch of minutes that kind of ramped up to starting to then after he came back, he was in like the teens for his minutes. And that really rubbed him the wrong way. And we saw his, I don't know if you saw his statement he put out about joining the Lakers. It was a lot of, I thought that
3: was really interesting.
1: Happy to be a Laker. I've known Darwin since I, you know, worked with him and, and then he closes it out by saying, you know, I'm looking forward to, you know, playing in LA and I'm motivated after what Dallas did. And that's the way. After what Dallas
3: did. Such an interesting way to frame that again. Like maybe he got, Jerked around a little. It wasn't that situation that he expected. Maybe promises were made, promises weren't kept. You know, um, you can see how it was a bit of a salary dump for Dallas. And uh, why not? We can get this guy for not very much. But at the end of the day, it's up to the coach to optimize what you have. And you know, yeah, it's it's a really interesting quote he had there. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. So I, I think he's got a bad reputation. I think there are certainly areas he's weaker. I think one thing that he graded out his poor at is, is his post defense. Not not a great post defender. He's 6'9". He's somewhat skinny for a 6'9 guy. The thing is, post defense is a team defensive thing. It was like that under Vogel. It's like that under Ham. He's going to get help, just like AD got help against Jokic. They weren't letting AD play 1v1 and when they did in game one, he got cooked. And that's Anthony Davis. It, whether it was Rui, AD, didn't matter. They were sending help when, and they had success with it against Jokic, and, and I see Wood fitting into that. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, if under a different scheme, maybe I'd have more concern, but I just, there aren't too many teams that post up a bunch and among those teams, a smaller percentage of those teams are doing it in a way that really hurts you. And in those situations, we know the Laker behavior is to send help. So that again, is not necessarily a problem. So that to me is potentially a concern or it's, I'll say it's a weakness that within this context. Isn't as much of a concern, um, you know, and, and even as a – oh, go ahead.
3: And I was just going to say, and to be clear, when you say team defense, you're both talking scheme and player mm-hmm. skill, right? Mm-hmm. Utilization around – it's not all up to him. It's not, you know, all defense is team defense, unless, which happens so few, you know, so rarely on the court.
1: Yep. Absolutely. And like his rebounding, I don't think we've talked about that that much. He's a really strong defensive rebounder. Offensively, he's never been used much from a crashing standpoint. He hasn't been around the rim a lot and he's a spacer. So that makes sense. When he's in offensive rebounding battles, he's, he's fared. Okay. He's been about average uh, among bigs. And so not much put back impacts or anything like that, but okay. On the offensive boards, defensive boards though, really strong. He's got a quick second jump. As I mentioned earlier, he stays down well, and that keeps him in position for rebounding. I think that's something that Castleton does really well, and Castleton's a big dude, so that that helps from a size standpoint with, with his height. But uh, Wood does this well. There are some guys that they want to block everything, and by trying to block everything, they're going after shots that they can't actually really alter, but they are taking themselves out of position for rebounds. We see this with Jaron Jackson and, and other guys who have really low uh, block rates on contests. Wood has a pretty high block rate on contests. I believe it was a a B-plus off the top of my head. When he's contesting shots, he's effective. And he's disrupting them. We see that in the data. And he's blocking them often, which we see in the data. And when he's not contesting shots, but he's at the rim, it's because he's calculating, I can't get to it. I'd rather stay here and box out. And I think that's smart. I saw him tip rebounds when he couldn't secure them, which is a smart thing. I like to see it's a high IQ thing to do. I saw times where if he was behind a player that was driving and a teammate stepped up to defend the rim he would peel off switch the way you'd see a guard do it and take away the dump off or at times when there was no dump off he would just go find space on the other side of the rim to kind of claim as his own from a rebounding standpoint which i was just like that's that's such a smart thing to do and i want laker fans to give him a shot i think the team's going to give him a shot and even if he plays like he played last year that's a 10 11 million dollar guy and that's super valuable at a minute if you clean some of this stuff up, he can be even better. And, and I think that could be putting you know, the Lakers in a, a really, really advantageous situation.
3: Yeah, you mentioned before Malik Monk. I think Dwight Howard was another reclamation project. We have uh, Dennis mm-hmm. Schroeder, guys who all came for the minimum or very little money who you know, went on to sign better contracts uh, the next season. Another aspect of this, Tim, is, uh, again, he's on the minimum. If it doesn't work out, he did get the player option. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you cut him, you're adding that to next year as well. It's it's not a huge number, but it's still there. Um, to me, this is a lot different than giving someone like Jackson Hayes a player option for no reason. Um, or was it Cam Reddish, right? Cam Reddish.
1: <laughs> it might have been both. I
3: think it was both, um,
1: yeah. There was, were a couple guys, right yeah.
3: <laughs> but it's different to me than that because this – this guy is a clearly more valuable uh past a little more more established past in the nba regardless of his faults but if they do pop, if he they do use him well and in the first part of the season it's going to change the out the future outlook for both him and maybe a guy like jared vanderbilt who became you know extension eligible today mm-hmm. where they might be more open to Packaging a couple of these guys at the trade deadline, it gives you more ammo, right? It gives you more depth to do those, you know, two for one deals to maybe get a a slightly better player or to combine into a different kind of deal. So, I'm not. I'm just more like thinking of all, trying to think of all angles here. It just gives them more, another bullet in that chamber. You know, should it happen, and if it doesn't, you, you can cut them for relatively low, low stakes.
1: Yep. And I, I think in a way, too, there, so I see the similarity when it comes to like this was a guy who had been paid a lot of money and now isn't making that. And I think grabbing a guy who's not making that, the money and having trying to reclaim him rather than on the last year of a big money contract, I think there's a difference there because you feel the heat when it's like, oh crap, my income's way lower than it was before. I got to get it together, I got to go, you know, refine that edge. And go make things happen for me and my family versus like, you know, I I still got this. I'm, you know, they're paying me more than any of you. Like, I, I could, you know, I can figure this out. So I, I think that might help him be open to buying into a role. But when we talk about him buying into a role, like, what does that look like? This isn't Dwight Howard that was, as a you know, operating as a post player way more than made any sort of sense later in his career that needed to change. We tangibly needed to see his offensive role change. It's not the case here for Wood. This isn't Carmelo Anthony, who used to be a heavy on-ball player that needed to be more of a spacer, more of a ball mover. This isn't that. Like Wood is good at the offensive things still and should continue to do the offensive things. And defensively, a lot of what he did, I I want him to keep doing. There's stuff we want to change, but it's not, hey, you need to start trying, or hey, uh, you know, you need to not be the you're not the man anymore. Like he was already boxing out. He's already rotated. He will be put in positions where he's not next to you know, just a bunch of holes in the boat where where the you know the water's coming in because no one can stay in front anywhere. He's in a much better environment, and I, I think just in general was a better player defensively last season than people realize. He he had been an average ish, uh mobile big from a defensive impact standpoint the three seasons prior to last year. Last year his uh, defensive impact tanked, and I think part of that had to do with them running him and drop so much, but also. When we look at his expected D. LeBron with our, our talent model at People Index, looking at his skill, performance in all these different areas and his role and his physical tools and all that, we would have expected him to be much better than he was. His defensive talent among the 100 mobile bigs and anchor bigs, I think I had a 1,000 possession minimum on it, he, he his talent ranked out 52nd, so average which is about what it was the prior seasons. And when we look at his optimization those prior years, it was about average. He was about what he should have been. This most recent season, his defensive impact was so far from what it should have been in this data, even for what he did in all these individual areas, that he was the fourth lowest optimized defensive big man in the NBA. And when we zoom out and look at the whole database, there were 999 mobile bigs and anchor bigs over the past decade that played again. I think it was a thousand possession minimum. He had the 12th lowest, I'm sorry, 12th percentile optimization among about a 1,000 players. So he was not playing, or he was not used in a way that allowed him to be as good as he could have been. And just like with Vando's offensive uh, impact last season, which I think can be much better this year in better context, Woods' defensive impact, I don't think is indicative of what his true performance was. Dallas, at a team level, when we look across the board, they were non-optimizing guys. They were the third worst team from a defensive optimization standpoint, and I talked about you know playing guys out of roles, playing guys up positions that didn't make sense. So I think it's just so much is better for him that we can see him be plugged in and kind of still do what he does and perform well. Now, he's not going to get as many touches, but it's not like he's coming from an offense where he was on ball a bunch of the time. They had Luka, they had Kyrie, they had witty different portions of the season. So I think the offensive translation is easier and the defensive translation isn't like... You know, come on, buddy. You need to try now. Like, there are things he's bad at, but I I don't quite agree with the characterization of like he needs to buy into his role. He does. Everybody does. And and from a minutes standpoint, he's going to have to fight for minutes and things like that. But not to as extreme a degree as Frank Vogel needed to get guys to buy in under previous Laker teams.
3: Yeah, it just kind of seems like people are running with the same talking points and repeating them and. Sure, there's been some reports of that. As we mentioned in, in Houston, where he uh, he missed a COVID test. He reportedly, you know, after getting chewed out from a coach, uh, didn't want to go back out for the second half. Well, it's not a great story, you know. In in no context is that a good thing to hear about a player. But you know, you bringing up Draymond's quote about how things aren't always what they seem, and and how this is a media or a narrative run. Uh, business and times and and things. If you understood more how they worked, you would think about players differently. I think is all context that we're trying to put out there that we have maybe haven't. I I don't really listen to other Lakers pods. I like to keep everything fresh, right? But I've seen it on the timeline of oh, these talking points, and I guess it. I would say if you're gonna run with those things, maybe watch our video, do a little bit more research and, and think why, why are these things being said about this guy consistently? Maybe it is. Maybe it's copium, Tim. Maybe we're the Lakers exceptionalism. We're doing our exceptionalism thing, but from the things I've seen and the, the value he brings on court. Yeah. He's a flawed player in some aspects, but he's also capable of extremely skilled things that I don't think people are contextualizing, especially like around a league minimum.
1: Yeah, for sure. We, we, I, it'll be interesting to see how, as folks watch more film, maybe their perspectives change as, as they replace what they know about a player that they, they, you know, they remove the narratives and they insert more, more, here's what I'm actually seeing. I'm interested to see how things will change. Cause a lot of folks were not interested into this move and, Just like you like i don't (laughs) i listen to my football podcast i listen to my other podcasts i don't really listen to basketball podcasts in general let alone laker podcasts i I do just it's the film it's the data and it's here this is what we're seeing i don't i don't want to be you know trying to insert myself in other people's conversations that i I wasn't part of or you know i just i think that i analyze better when i'm able to look at things fresh and because a lot of people aren't looking at things well and you know when i especially if i like miss a game or miss the start of a game i'm like hey what happened people tell me oh well this happened and this happened a lot of times it's not what i'm seeing when i go back and rewatch things on film right. so just try to keep things without you know oh i'm looking for that because you mentioned it um you know keeps things fresh but i i've had people in my mentions the past couple of days just adding lakers content creators being like this isn't what you said, or have you thought about this? This is way different from right. what you were thinking. And I'm like, right. oh man, <laughs> like yeah. I, I don't know what they're saying, but apparently it's very different from what we're saying. And, and I know it it was uh, in general in the past because I, I don't, I mean, it felt like we were pretty much on an island with interest in going after him, but it seems like a no brainer at the min And we'll see how people and, maybe get yeah. in line now that he's a Laker. And I hope it's for the right reasons. And because yeah. they look at the film, the film's not going to lie. Go look at the film. Go watch a you know a good sample of the film, of course, but uh, there's you know give this guy a chance. That's that's my plea to people. Don't just run with what you're hearing as people try to rationalize his situation, or even like do what I did. Go Google Christian Wood on, uh, and, and look at the news tab and go month by month last season or previous seasons. It's yeah. not this dude stinks. This guy needs to start defending. You know why is he playing this much? It's a lot more positive than the Twitter comments would lead you to believe and it's refreshing yeah. in a way because it's like, this is the real-time analysis. I think the rationalizing afterwards analysis, especially when you lose a guy from your roster and you try to make it, you know, make sense. It can be a little bit more stretched. Even things I hear about Lakers players that we analyze super deep in the playoffs. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we, I know <laughs> for sure this is wrong. You know, we very much deep dive into this. That is not what happened. And that was just a couple of months ago. Uh, and that's for players we follow very closely. Like things twist over time as people try to fit things nicely into little boxes. And when the guy's not one of ours anymore, you know, we could start, you know, throwing, throwing crap his way. Uh, give him a chance.
3: Yeah, basketball's an interesting sport like that because you can find just about any confirmation bias that you want, you know, in the film. And yes, we're guilty of it. I posted a 15 minute highlight film of you know, his great skills. But you know what? A lot of players don't have 15-minute highlight films of plays that dynamic of Mm -hmm. guys making threes off of pull-up transition, making threes in the corner spotting up, uh, attacking closeouts after you know, and and leading to a dunk, catching alley-oops off the pick-and-roll with Luca. There's so many things this guy can bring to the table that I just think people don't contextualize. Like, you can't even if cherry-picking, a confirmation bias, using our Lakers exceptionalism, there's not a lot of bigs who can do some of the things Christian Wood can do all under the same umbrella. And you mm-hmm. you figure out what you can around a guy like that. You have other options out there to be able to go away from him. But ultimately, it's I'm super excited, and I think this really, really puts a, a really great cap on, on a really nice offseason for the Lakers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They got a lot of good options. If it doesn't pan out, they've got other good options. So lots lots of analysis up ahead for sure. And we, you know, we're getting closer and closer to preseason and the regular season. I'm excited. Uh last thing I'll mention, I, I talked to two folk two MAPS contacts, one in the org and another around the org who who has connections within the org and both of them were, you know, we, we talked about things off the record and they were like, Yeah, they, they didn't use him in a way that set him up to succeed. And and like, you can get more of this guy. He was playing next to dudes that e- even some of the pairings that made sense for him to play next to, he's playing next to guys who were like playing through injuries uh, for a lot of the season. And when I look back and looked at some of the duos, like, oh, actually this duo worked really well. That duo worked really well, but it was such a small portion of the year for him. And when I look at, oh, okay, him plus this type of player worked well, we have that uh, offensively. We have that defensively. Um, looking at him prior seasons, like him and Tice worked really well in Houston his last year. On defense Um, him and rolling center lineups rocked from an offensive standpoint we've got those things and a lot of what did work we have and a lot of what didn't work we're absolutely not going to ask him to do it would make no sense and we don't have the you know don't even have the roster makeup for that so I just see so much low-hanging fruit for the areas that he was struggling in to either not matter or get much better this year And I don't know this, I'm buying, I'm buying all of the Christian Woodstock I can get. And Mm. if we're wrong, we're wrong. And I will take that. But, uh, you know, there's, there's more than just, well, well, actually, I think he's, he puts up some points. It's, this is more than looking at box scores stuff. This is more than looking at the LeBron data or the impact data. This is looking at the film. This is looking at at the nuanced stuff that's going on. And that's what you get here with the, uh, Lakers exceptionalism podcast.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So reminder, go subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, at Lakers exceptionalism. We are going to take uh, a few week break here from the pod, but I'm still going to be trying to get some stuff up on the YouTube. Uh, so go subscribe to that really, really help us out. And yeah, this was a great pod. I'm feeling really good about this season and excited to, you know, take our content up to the next level. And if you want to get into our discord Take a screenshot that you subscribe to the Lakers Exceptionalism YouTube. DM that to Tim, myself, or the Lakers Exceptionalism Twitter account, Instagram account. You can follow us there. I'm posting more. Um, Yeah, I'm going to get some more player badges up using B-Ball Index data. You know, just really pumping up the level of content. And we really appreciate you guys on the Discord. You know, just keeping the conversation going, building that community. And uh, getting really excited for this upcoming season. I, I think it's going to be a really good one, man.
1: Yeah, man. Absolutely, great community, good roster. I'm I'm excited, and uh, we're going to keep things growing, keep things moving ahead. We've got more big news, you know, with with the streams that we'll be able to talk about in a couple months. And uh, you know, as things are rocking and rolling, you definitely want to follow the two of us. Follow the pod account on Twitter. And we've got a TikTok now. Uh, we've got the Instagram, the YouTube. I think is a great like if you're going to pick one. Go follow the YouTube because we've got yeah. longer form videos. We've got shorts. We've got other ideas for shorts in the works. I've got yeah. you know, a demo I sent over to Tom earlier today for a concept that we might be rolling out. We might have stuff every day over there yeah. next season. So w- – you know, legitimately, like that is a, a place to go join. And and if you do, you might as well send that screenshot over and join the Discord as well. Keep the conversation going. Shout out to Court Prowess and TJ Simataji in the arena sponsorship tier. Zach Harris, QDadio, iPod Shuffle, Miguel, T Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Rahman, Keneal Mason, Doppel and Romario in the owner's box, as well as to the Courtside and Lower Bowl Cruise. Uh, check out our link tree, either uh, linking from either of our bios on Twitter and you can see all the various links to follow us on all the platforms. Join the Discord, see the different tiers uh, lots of good stuff coming up ahead.
3: Yeah, thanks so always uh, to everybody. We appreciate you, and uh, have a good night. Go Lakers.